Here to start us off are the St. Michael Singers and Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, Zion, City of Our God.
And now we heard the St Michael singers with Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. The words for that one were written by John Newton. He also wrote the words for Amazing Grace. But let's go over to David to see what Malcolm Geit has for us this morning. Malcolm Geit has written a, a series of poems based on some of George Herbert's poetic themes. This week we hear Malcolm reading his sonnet about bliss and it's followed by the choir boys singing In Paradisum from Foray's Requiem. Bliss. Softness and peace and joy and love and bliss. Love made this way and lifts us up each stair. Our maker knows that we were made for this, the utter bliss that heaven loves to share. We glimpse it sometimes in another's eyes. We taste it sometimes on the tongues of prayer. It takes us wholly, takes us by surprise, but grasping it, our arms clasp empty air. Our bliss has vanished with a word of promise, a sweet come-hither wave that offers more. Each ecstasy has been a farewell kiss that left us weeping on the hither shore. Yet every passing moment whispers this, Eternity shall love us into bliss.
Malcolm Guide, followed by the Choir Boys with In Paradisum, the closing piece from Foray's Requiem, wishing the departed eternal rest. Now it's back to David. Adrian Plass has written a book called The Unlocking, published by the Bible Reading Fellowship. Today, Adrian talks about the need for faith. Faith works, not works. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I wonder, did the disciples think that Jesus would point out some trifling deficiency in their healing technique, something they could change next time? Why do we cling to the belief that if we change in some way, then God will start to work? Do the following words find an echo in you? Once I've cleaned this house up properly, I honestly think I'll get somewhere. Once I've pulled out every single piece of furniture and used an abrasive cloth with strong stuff on it, I think I shall come to grips with the rest of my life. Once I've put everything into separate piles, each containing the same sort of thing, if you know what I mean, I think I'll manage. Once I've written a list that includes absolutely everything, I think the whole business will seem very much clearer. Once I've had time to work slowly from one item to another, I'm sure things will change. Once I've eaten sensibly for more than a week and a half. Once I've sorted out the things that are my fault. Once I've sorted out the things that are not my fault. Once I've spent a little more time reading useful books, being with people I like, going to pottery classes, getting out into the air, making bread, drinking less, drinking more, going to the theatre, adopting a third-world child, eating free-range eggs and writing long letters. Once I've pulled every single piece of furniture right out and cleaned this house up properly. Once I've become somebody else, I honestly think I'll get somewhere. Pray with me. Father, if faith is a gift from you, and the Bible says it is, then we'd like to have it, please. If it comes from hearing your voice clearly, then unblock our ears. If we need to grow up a bit before we can be trusted with such a powerful weapon, then show us the pathways to maturity. Give us faith, even if it's only the size of a fiftieth of a mustard seed. Amen. And Adrian Plass was reading from his book, The Unlocking. Two tunes for the price of one coming up now. Gather's vocal band with You Are My Strength and echoes of Pachelbel's Canon and D. Here's Gather's vocal band. When I am weak, you are the treasure that I seek. 
Taylor's vocal band with You Are My Strength. That was blended with Packle Bell's Canon in D. Now, a big, big thank you to all of you who've given so generously to our funding appeal. And also thank you for the encouraging comments as well, confirming what we believe, that is, the importance of Heartland FM to the community and to those further afield as well in some cases. As uh, David and I are working from home and pre-recording, I can't give you the latest figures, but if you go to heartland.scot, all the information is there. But anyway, yes, a big, big thank you. It's very encouraging. Going back to music now. Now, we've had two pieces of music referring to life after death. Glorious things of the earth spoken Zion City of our God. That's the one we started with. Here's another one. It's rather different. It's Johnny Cash with There's a land that is fairer than day and by faith we can see it afar for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. Cash in good form there with There's a Land That Is Fairer Than Day. 
Sometimes it's known as In the Sweet By and By. I checked up on it and that song was written more than 150 years ago. But let's get back to David. Sarah Perry is a novelist who grew up in Essex and had a strict Baptist upbringing. Sarah describes to Michael Barclay the influence her parents had on her life. Your childhood in Essex, Sarah Perry, sounds a bit like the setting of one of your novels. You're the youngest of five daughters and you were brought up in a strict Baptist chapel. Lots of rules. You said you grew up in 1895, (laughs) I think. Yes, that is um, the most accurate description I can think of. And... Music was such a vital part of it. Um, I think people would like to think of my childhood as having been shorn of beauty and culture, and that's very much not the case. It's just the beauty and culture sort of stopped in about 1900. Um, so I was constantly surrounded by classical music, and one of my happiest memories is that my father took me out of school when I was about 12 to go to the proms, and uh, we arrived very early and we queued for um, promenade tickets to stand right at the at the rail you know you could practically be flicked by the conductor's tailcoat um to hear that the choral symphony beethoven's choral symphony and it's one of the formative experiences of my life really so yes it was like a victorian childhood i embroidered i did in different watercolors i played music i sort of sang hymns at the church organ and all of that was in many ways rather good training i think for my profession Was there a terrible conflict when you broke away from your parents' Baptist beliefs? No. Uh, Or perhaps you didn't? No, not at all. Um, I'm the youngest, and I think it is often the case with parents that they sort of practice (laughs) on on their elder children. And so by the time I was expressing grave concerns about things like the literal interpretation of Scripture and, you know, doctrines regarding gay marriage and so on, they were accustomed to the idea that their children were acquiring their own consciousness and their own path towards or through faith. Um, This isn't to say that we don't have spirited debates um but there was no great fracture in the way that one might have if one was a cult member for example where you know if you step a toe out of line you don't see your family again so i'm very grateful for the fact that we've managed to remain close whilst avoiding certain subjects over the dinner table well maybe that was an advantage of being the youngest i was the oldest and i would say i practiced on my (laughs) (laughs) for my brothers uh but so you've not really had the kind of story we've learned to expect from writers like jeanette winterson no not at all and i suspect that disappoints people because what people (laughs) like is a degree you know this kind of manichaean thing Um, where it is an absolute, a binary situation. And what you have with me is someone who is either absolutely the worst Christian who ever lived or absolutely the worst atheist who ever lived, depending on, uh, you know, the time of day. So I I feel myself to be quite alone in some respects, but I find that a not unpleasant place to be. And it's a question of, um, you know, as the scripture would say, working out my own salvation with fear and trembling, um... So it's it's an interesting journey. This next music you first heard as a child, it's Beethoven's String Quartet Number no. 12, and you particularly wanted the Alban Berg Quartet. I did. Um, I have chosen this uh, really 
for my father, he was not brought up listening to classical music. I remember him saying with enormous disfavour that all he ever heard at home was a brass band playing occasionally. But he became very much in love with classical music and he had a pair of speakers which were enormous. When I was a child, they came up to my shoulder and he would blast out all sorts of things at top volume um, to my mother's irritation and particularly the Alban Berg recordings of the late string quartets. And I I remember in particular the opening of this piece shaking the speakers <laughs> and I would be drawn down from my bedroom and sit on the stairs and listen to it. So it evokes that sense of being very young and music landing on you and sort of demonstrating to you everything that lies ahead of you in life um, that you can't quite understand but it's, it's showing you the edges. <laughs> just thinking as we were listening to that Sarah that it's the insistence of Beethoven that's so striking isn't it? Yes that is precisely it it is like meeting somebody unexpected um, who absolutely insists themselves on you um, and you're helplessly drawn to them even if you're busy and, and you have other things to be getting on with and you sort of find yourself getting in touch with them later on it's that's what Beethoven does and as soon as that opening chord played I had tears <laughs> coming down my cheeks in this this feeling of um, a prizing open of memory and feeling and it, it does it every time it's quite extraordinary the Albenberg quartet with the first movement of Beethoven's string quartet number 12 in E flat and Sarah Perry was talking to Michael Barclay I'm not going to stick with Beethoven for the music in fact Sarah mentioned in, in her piece the choral St. Beethoven's choral symphony and here's one of the tunes from it the All Souls Orchestra and Singers with Sing to God New Songs of Worship.
Cardinal Souls Orchestra and Singers with Sing to God New Songs of Worship. And that tune is sometimes associated with the European Union nowadays as a sort of theme tune. But as I say, that was the All Souls Orchestra and Singers and the song was not the European theme tune but Sing to God New Songs of Worship. But now it's over to you again, David. Larry and Judy Gentis live in Kurt Michael and go to Pitlochry Baptist Church. Today, Judy imagines herself to be Lydia, as described in the New Testament book, The Acts of the Apostles. Hello, my name is Lydia, and I sell fabric in the city of Philippi, but not just any old fabric, the highest quality purple fabric. But now on with my story. I am not a Jew, so I do not adhere to their customs. And it so happened that one Sabbath day, as I was trading on the banks of the river that run through the city, I chose this day because there would be a lot less competition. Some of the local men came out of the synagogue to join us. They probably wanted to give us a hard time because we were trading. You know the type. Don't do comments on the Lord's Day and so on and so forth. I worship God, but I'm not part of the Jewish way. Their leader, whose name was Paul, was speaking, but this was a message I had never heard before. In fact, I'd never heard anything like it. He was telling us that God loved us so much that he'd sent himself in the form of Jesus Christ to be sacrificed for our sins. My sins. And that by faith in him, I could be set free and that God would forgive me. Now, being a businesswoman, and I dare say a good one, I understood it this way. When you sin, there is a price. So my well-being was dependent on obeying the laws of the Pharisees. I had never considered that their laws applied to me, so I'd never paid much attention to them. I knew enough to conduct business with them and left it at that. I did not trade with Jews on the Sabbath day, for example, but with other folk I certainly did. Their laws were so onerous that there was no way I could live up to those standards. So I didn't even try. I was never going to be one of the chosen people. So what did it matter? Now here is this Paul telling me that actually I can be forgiven by faith in this God and I can be redeemed and be baptized in his name. He was so compelling. I was convinced that what he was telling me was the truth and I went and told my family and servants, and they chose to be baptized with me. Something about that baptism. I felt like God himself had touched me that day. I will never forget it. When I came up out of the water, I knew I had been set free. Paul and his companions were traveling through the region, so I prevailed upon them to come and stay at my house. As we were going there, a slave girl started to follow us. She was obviously not normal. Her eyes were completely blank, but she would not leave us alone. She kept shouting out that these men were the servants of the Most High God and would show us the way to salvation. She was making a lot of money for her owners because she could foretell future events. Even though what she was saying was true, her manner was very uncomfortable and we were really glad to get into the house. Over the next few days, every time we went anywhere, she followed us, shouting out the identification of my guests, that they were the servants of the Most High God. After some days, Paul turned around to her and said, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. 
And at that very moment, the spirit that had been in her came out and she became a normal little girl. Now you'd think this was a good thing, but not to her owners. They didn't see it that way. She could no longer tell them which horse to bet on or which gladiator would survive the circus. So their means of living was gone. They were so enraged that they stirred up all the city against Paul and his companions. They trumped up false charges against him and against the others. And as a result, Paul and his companions were thrown into jail. They were firmly locked in the stocks and had a guard put over them. I remember the night well. It was an earthquake. The jail was knocked about so badly and the jailer thought that his prisoners had escaped. Now, according to Roman law, if a jailer loses a prisoner, his own life is forfeit. The Romans saw it as a positive work incentive. Anyway, this poor chap was about to impale himself on his sword when he heard Paul cry out for him to stop. All the prisoners were still there. He was so shocked that Paul and and his friends were still there that he asked what he must do to be saved. And like ourselves, he believed and was baptized with his entire household. Paul and his folk came back to my house and stayed the remainder of the visit with us. That was some months ago. And since then, the town of Philippi has been literally turned upside down. Oh, I can't claim that everything is perfect. But now there are so many people who have become believers that there's a real atmosphere of hope in our city. And all this, because of a deal, I couldn't refuse. Would you refuse such a salvation? This comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 13 to 14. Judy Gentis there, imagining herself as Lydia, living in Philippi at the time when St. Paul was in prison there, albeit very briefly, as we heard. Now, here are the seekers with an old gospel song, Just a Closer Walk with Thee.
recorded just a closer walk, usually country or jazz, but uh, in that case it was a folk group, The Seekers, um, recording back in the 1960s there. How back to David one more time. Ernie Ray talks to Richard Gamble about his plans for a wall of answered prayer near the M6 motorway in Birmingham. Today we're discussing prayer. Does it work? Does it have a positive effect on our mental health? Is it rational to expect the Almighty to alter his plans in accordance with our prayers? If all goes according to plan, if you're driving around Birmingham on the M6 in a few years' time, you will see a massive wall of answered prayer looming over the horizon. It has now received planning permission. It's the idea of Richard Gamble, former chaplain to Leicester City Football Club. I just felt God tell me to carry a cross around Leicestershire during Easter And it was almost like a piece of performance art because I wanted people to think about Jesus during the Easter break instead of chocolate and Easter eggs. And uh, as I was doing that, I was just talking to God and I was like, well, what do you want me to do next? And then this sort of a picture, a vision flashed through my mind of a wall by the side of a motorway where every brick represented an answered prayer. And so that that was just like a fleeting moment. And then for 10 years, I've sort of talked to God and prayed about what to do with that and wrestled with it, really. And then six years ago, I felt God say, well, time to give it a go. And uh, that's what we've been doing. Why a wall of answered prayer? There's lots of monuments you could have had that would have stood within the Christian tradition. But why did you settle on that one? I suppose in in simple terms, that's the way I felt led. But the way I would describe it is I I want it to be a a piece of art that provokes a discussion about prayer, that gets people talking about prayer and creates a, a space where in the busyness of life, people can come and visit, they can read through some of the stories and then take some time to consider whether prayer and faith should be part of their life experience. Good pieces of art should provoke conversation. We're not dictating an answer, but we want to just allow people that space to reflect, which I don't think we have much opportunity to do that in society these days. But this is to be a wall of answered prayer. And many people would say, well, prayer is about a lot more than just getting God to do things for us. Yeah, absolutely agree. Couldn't agree more. I mean, what we're not proposing is a transactional God or a, you know, a supermarket God that you just present your shopping list to. I I believe that God is interested on us going on a journey with him and building a deeper relationship with him. And along that journey, there are, if you like, signposts of when God answers. Now, God, in my experience, doesn't always answer yes, doesn't always answer immediately, sometimes gives us something that we don't expect, sometimes is silent, sometimes says no, sometimes tells us to wait. And so what we're trying to do is give people the opportunity where they'll be able to use their phones and search through this million database of answer prayers and find stories that mirror the storm of life that they're going through and see how people have navigated that journey through prayer. You're only going to have Christian answered prayers. Why is that? 
Well, I suppose we, we want to present the Christian perspective. And I believe living in a multi-faith society is having the freedom to express your faith how you see fit. And I think if we just did that exclusively, that could be seen as, as a little bit closed and arrogant. What we're actually doing is within our exhibition, which is within the landmark itself, different faith leaders will be given the opportunity to share what their paradigm of prayer is. Of course, not all faiths believe that God answers prayer. And so it wouldn't be right to sort of put them all together. We want to be distinctive and provoke that conversation. But we also want to allow other faiths to have the freedom to say what they feel about prayer and how that works within their religion. There are going to be a million bricks, which represent a million prayers. Are you going to check them all for their veracity? <laughs> well, again, it's a piece of art, isn't it? And, um, you know, a lot of people's stories are subjective. It's for people to read the stories and make their own judgments, whether they believe them, whether they think, well, they're just coincidences. That's for people to decide themselves in this piece of art we're not wanting to be a policeman on what's permitted and what's not that was richard gamble he's got a vision of a wall of answered prayer richard gamble was talking to annie ray there i see that the wall of answered prayer has it's got planning permission and they hopes to start building it sometime this year on a site near coles hill beside the m6 and after that, I really had to choose the next song. It's about prayer. Paul Wheater and What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Pray 
Wesole.